0: Welcome to the 10th episode of the Invisibility Today podcast. I'm your tiny disabled host, Laura Elliott. This month, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Lydia Ruffles, an author who's just published her second YA novel, Colour Me In, and who's here today to talk about chronic migraine, harnessing creativity, and the long road to diagnosis. Welcome to the show, Lydia.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, I'm really happy to have you. So let's start with the most recent exciting news... You've uh, just published your second book, Colour Me In. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what that's about?
1: Yeah, so um, Colour Me In is my second book, which is just just coming out on paperback. Um, and it tells the story of a 19-year-old actor called Arlo Thomas, who... Um, Oh, how do I explain this without spoilers? He flees to the other side of the world after something irreparable happens and he takes with him just this sketchbook full of maps um, and it's about he, meet, and he meets this young woman there called um, Mizuki Gray who has this kind of secret and project of her own and, and their worlds kind of collide and they they decide for different reasons to try and get as lost as possible together and it's about um, like art, adventure, mental health, first love, friendship and lots of other things. It's in the kind of same universe as my first book, The Taste of Blue Light, but um, different characters.
0: You travelled to Japan to do research for the book as well. What was it like to go abroad on a research project?
1: Well, to be honest, um, the main reason that I wrote a book set in Japan was so that I could go there, because <laughs> um, I have always, always, always wanted to go there. Like You know, you just have those countries that you're just obsessed with, or not even countries, like sometimes just places that you're obsessed with going um too and my dad had gone there a lot um as a, when I was on business when I was a child so I had it in my head that I was going to get there one day and um I had this window where I was feeling like well enough to go which obviously is a consideration if you've got um if you're sort of managing various things but it was incredible like I had a few days in Tokyo by myself which is where I kind of started writing it and I had this um like very strange experience being jet lagged in Tokyo in the rain, and like looking at all the neon, like all the all the cliches you can possibly imagine about being a um, a foreigner in Japan, basically came true. And um, yeah, then I just had these amazing experiences. Like, spent some time in this underground capsule hotel. Um, had a very strange experience in an art gallery, which was underground in um, Osaka, which um, again formed like a pivotal scene in the book. And um, was lucky to go to. Um, like lots of different really inspiring places and was kind of writing the whole time that I was there taking research notes and then got to it properly when I got back that's
0: amazing and you also did I'm I'm not following my own question pattern here but um <laughs> you also took the experience of being in an art gallery and experiencing yeah. synesthesia in taste of blue light for looks as well so do you find this happens a lot taking from your yeah. own life into your writing
1: yeah, I mean, both my books are like thinly veiled autobiographies, basically. Um, so the first one, The Taste of Blue Light, is about this seventeen-year-old um, art student called Lux Langley who um, has, like, she she wakes up in hospital and she has this experience, basically, of trying to. She's having these strange symptoms. She doesn't know what's wrong with her, and that was very much born out of me um, trying to get diagnosis although what's happened to her is is different to what happened to me but um I pulled in lots of things like you know having done drama training she goes to this like um school for artistic children um and then with coming I was like right I'm not going to do this again I'm going to make the protagonist male I'm going to tell it in the third person I'm going to set it in a different country I'm going to do everything I can to stop it being really you know like a personal book but then yeah I I don't seem to be able to do it any other way (laughs) well it
0: worked with the first one so I assume it's going to work with the second one right so
1: yeah um and ideally I need to write a third one so I need to start going to small galleries and get some more inspiration
0: I love it I love it
1: I think it's like I use like a lot of writers I use a lot of like visual aids anyway like making sort of mood boards and aesthetics and stuff but um it, it wasn't a deliberate um choice to you know kind of go to our galleries and seek out these strange experiences It's just in the first one as you as you said I had this weird um thing where I was getting a migraine and had this very like synesthetic experience and and then the second one uh, this is going to sound really strange but before I went I had been collecting all these images of like abandoned hospitals and um just you know like eggs and just very strange things just in a way to try and distance myself from what I was going to write about and then when I got to this art gallery I walked into this exhibition and the first thing that I saw was a picture of an um, abandoned hospital and then as I went around the exhibition there were all these like coincidences and I was just like I can't not Use some of their stuff, and you know, it's not the direct experience. It's it's that they the the characters like travel to this um, abandoned hospital and stuff like that. So it's not kind of a direct translation, but yeah, I don't I don't know what, what happens to me. It's like a portal to inspiration for me.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that like, you were quite literally inspired by art, which is
1: yeah. Yeah, well, I actually um like that's a big part of my like creative practice anyway. I I run like creative writing sessions, which I call art eating art, which is very much like how can you take um you know like visual prompts or kind of parasite um, lines from different things and use them like for pastiche or for inspiration. So I am someone who like I I definitely don't kind of write in a vacuum. I need a lot. I need to like fill up my tank and then see what happens (laughs) (laughs)
0: absolutely and you did a lot of traveling i know before you got sick as well how how do you find the experience traveling now that you have chronic migraine and and synesthesia and all of these issues because i was thinking standing in neon tokyo sounds to my (laughs) migraine head like like hell so how do you manage (laughs) that
1: yeah i mean um honestly i i um like there are there are periods where I just don't really travel I I think I am quite lucky in that migraine very much like comes and goes for me so I'll have a few months where I'm like completely debilitated by it but then once it goes like I'm kind of back to like 80% again so I can travel more or less quote-unquote normally um in those times um that said like jet lag is a real fiasco for managing that sort of thing um And then just things like, I'm not very good at routine anyway, but traveling obviously like scuffles your routine. As you say, bright lights are definitely not the dream for um for me at least um I just wear sunglasses like mm. pretty much everywhere I go to be honest I wear them like when I used to wear in an office. work in an office I wore them all the time
0: as you say you're basically bono yeah,
1: yes yes <laughs> except I don't put my albums or books directly into people's iTunes or e-readers
0: that's probably for the best you know and <laughs> um, am I right in thinking in a lovely twist of irony, it was actually a virus while you were travelling that you think <laughs> triggered your migraines initially. Yeah,
1: yeah, So I was in um South America and I'd been there fortunately it was at the end of the trip, I'd been there for a few months and um I just started feeling a bit like strange and put it down to being run down and like living out of a backpack for a bit too long and you know like I'm vegetarian as well so basically like surviving on peanuts and cheese strings for, <laughs> for three months um and then I w- I flew back to Spain where I was living at the time and um I started getting this dizziness it was like really really violent um dizziness and vertigo where I felt like I was just sliding off the planet and I like, couldn't stand up properly but it would come and go and then I started getting this head pain which started as what I would kind of call like a normal headache you know you can take painkillers and lie down and shift it within a few hours but these got like progressively worse and worse and I remember texting um friends back home and saying like I think there's something really wrong with my brain I can just tell like something's not right and I was due to go to Greece for a couple of weeks before I went back to London where I live and to go back to work and I ended up coming back for a few days and going to a walk-in center and then saying like oh it's a virus i think i had as well like a throat infection or something so i had like antibiotics or something like that but anyway basically got worse and worse and worse and then when i got back from greece i went back to work for a month and then i just couldn't stand up I was kind of walking around the office like clinging onto the walls and my my boss who was amazing um was kind of like, what are you what are you doing here? Like, you need to go to a hospital. And so I went to... I think I went to another walk-in centre. This was about eight or nine years ago, so I can't exactly remember what happened when. It was such a, like, protracted thing trying to get diagnosed, as I'm sure it's very relatable <laughs> to you and a lot of your listeners. And, and I got... Um, think they said I had labyrinthitis or something which turned out to not be the case and I had you know that was the beginning basically of five years of like MRI scans blood tests physical exams x-rays being kind of told I got told everything from like it could be multiple sclerosis to a blame brain bleed to um you know kind of run along little girl it's just anxiety which like a, it wasn't anxiety, and B, there's no such thing as just anxiety. Yeah. Like anxiety also needs to be managed. So don't don't send them away if that is the case. Eventually, yeah, got this got this diagnosis of um, vestibular migraine and chronic visual vertigo, which explains the um, wild uh, dizziness that I get, <laughs> along with some of the other symptoms that you might expect from migraine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I sympathise. I um when I first started, I also had um M- MS posited, and then. Yeah. Um, very swiftly off the back when there was no MS, its anxiety go away. So, yeah, yeah I, I
1: think um it, that seems to be true for a lot of people, particularly women. Um,
0: yes, I was actually going to ask you, do you think some of the problems with diagnosis of migraine and these issues is because migraine is seen as somehow a female problem, and that's kind of bound up in the healthcare? Yeah.
1: I think it does it does have a bit to do that and, and to an extent like it is a female problem like more women are affected by it than men um but that that shouldn't um devalue it I mean still it's something like 8.5 million people in the UK have migraine and, and it's like the third most common disease in the world it's more affects more people than like epilepsy diabetes etc combined and you know, like the World Health Organization say, it put it on equates severe migraine in terms of how debilitating it is with like um Alzheimer's and paraplegia. So it's like having this massive impact, um, but nothing. You know, it's, we're just not making enough progress. And you know, this this is not to suggest that you know just because more people are suffering that it from it that it's any more important than anything else, but. It just i think if that if that many men were suffered by f- for something possibly I, I don't know like who knows yeah. but i think it's to do with who is at the table and who is making investment decisions and and that sort of thing
0: yeah absolutely have you read uh doing harm by maya dusenberry by any chance no,
1: someone recommended that to me the other day i haven't read it Uh,
0: is that sort of along those lines yeah it basically talks about how uh medical trials still don't include women most of the time and then we kind of extrapolate out from that that however something affects men must also affect women the same way when that's not really true and it's kind of the she talks about the knowledge gap between men's bodies and women's bodies and yeah it's very interesting i think you'd like
1: it (laughs) yeah that's good i mean medical kind of um, pharmaceutical trials are like problematic enough as it as it is um, without (laughs) adding in that kind of extra dimension.
0: Absolutely and I don't know whether you want to see this as a positive or whether you do see it as a positive but you seem to your creativity seems very closely linked to your experiences with migraines i mean it's 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 informed it informed a lot of your first book i haven't read color me in but i have read taste of blue light and color me in's on the list but do you think that you have become or used creativity more drivenly i guess
1: since becoming yeah. ill <laughs> it's an interesting question and it's something that I go like round and round on not just with like migraine but mental health as well which is something else that I'm interested in um and I feel really wary of making connections where there there is no like proof for it um I mean I actually um the the migraine trust for example will say that you know there's no evidence that people with migraine are any more creative than than those without and and that kind of rings you know like if you're in a migraine forum on Facebook everyone in there is not kind of painting and writing books but for me as someone who is a creative person anyway I think a it's kind of it, it has informed some of the things that I write about not just in creative writing but in like the sort of um, non-fiction writing that I do for you know like magazines and papers and I think it has kind of had indirect impacts in that being forced to like basically drop out of the other career that I had which was that I worked as a um, communication strategist it has forced me to kind of slow down and maybe open my eyes to other things and be more I guess it's like improved my empathy it also affects the way that just the way that I think about like language and color and reality because i i find at least like if ever i have a, a kind of extreme migraine um attack everything just dissolves um and i can't speak how I usually speak my words get muddled or, or they start to mean different things or and sounds get very distorted and colors seem very intensified and I think that comes through a lot in my writing anyway which I obviously am not writing while I am in the middle of a migraine t- attack that is, that is not feasible um just kind of trying to stay alive at that point so I think it's had it has had an impact and it and it is kind of this thing that I tap into but also I think you know, given the choice I would not have it and I would just write about something else you
0: yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs>
1: I get I get asked this quite a lot, like, would you kind of surrender migraine if it meant that you weren't creative and I feel like they want me to say like, no, I'd keep it, it's great and I'm like, No, have it back like <laughs> I don't want this Absolutely I would happily not write books if it means that I'm not that, that I don't use lose like you know 500 days of my life to being in agony like I that would be fine with me yeah. however that's not an option so I'm trying to make it work um as as lots of people do yeah
0: what I find quite interesting about your migraines cuz I have migraines and some of yeah. some of your experiences ring true so the the jumbled words and the the loss of language kind of thing definitely is something I experience but I while I get aura I I never experience the full synesthesia that you do right. so how uh, yeah. how does the synesthesia feel during an attack for you is it is it colors specifically or does it kind of meld yeah it's
1: it's a weird one because i had never had like a kind of synesthesia experience before i started getting migraines and honestly i didn't know that that was what it was until i finally mentioned it to a neurologist and um, just because i wanted to make sure that it wasn't something else and um, you know something sinister um really sinister and you know, synesthesia is not a health condition. It's just a trait. It doesn't, you know, doesn't hurt or do you any harm. Um So, yeah, the experience of that, I, I guess it's um, it, it's just like an extra layer of intensity to things, I suppose, and, and kind of fits into that, like, collapsing and dissolving that I was trying to describe, in that my senses just, they stop being distinct, and so sounds start having colour or shape or, and and then they kind of, that kind of leaves a trace once the migraine has gone. But, but I don't know whether, when I'm not in a migraine, I, I don't know whether when I experience it beyond that, whether it's like a memory or whether it's an actual thing, I have in my head, like, a, let me think of an example. Like, I, I, to me, like, police sirens. If I, if you say police sirens, I want to kind of make a twirl in the air with my finger, and then I, and that, and that twirl to me is like purple, right? And I imagine them kind of going off like not fireworks, that sounds a bit violent, but, um, but so that, that happened to me when I was having a migraine and and now it's like always in my mind but I don't know whether it is truly synesthesia once it's separated from the migraine I don't know if that makes any (laughs) sense yeah yeah
0: I think that makes sense because obviously some people just have synesthesia from birth but I imagine their experience again is different to yours which was triggered by migraine and then may like you say leave kind of after images more than true synesthesia in between if that makes sense
1: it, it's yeah it's a strange one I mean there there are cases of people kind of acquiring it and then losing it through illness it's not it's not um you know like super unusual and and actually synesthesia is a lot more common than um people think it it's it sort of I think it's four in a hundred people that have some kind of it, and and potentially it's higher than that because people just don't realise that yeah. the things that they're experiencing are unusual.
0: Or... It's interesting you say that because we realised a couple of years ago that my brother actually has synesthesia on a very kind of mild level because he associates um, place names with colours. He thought everyone did that.
1: I interviewed um, this um, man called James Wannerton for um, an article that I did for welcome collection about synesthesia. He's the chairman of the um, UK Synesthesia Association and, and he um, made this, uh, like a tube map, the London tube map, but based on what the names of the stations taste like to him. Wow. So, is, I guess, a thing that is kind of, um, must be one of the... The kinds, yeah, that's it's interesting to know. Like, if your brother saw a sign with leads written in a different color, whether he would feel that that didn't sit well because I, I have that with some words, like I have in a specific association which is like slightly different to what they actually mean, and so I can't use them properly. Basically,
0: <laughs> what words are quite different for you then?
1: Oh, well, the one that I always give just because i can think of it is like um do you know the word jaded to mean like um sort of exhausted and um like maybe a bit cynical and because jade obviously you could take jade from that and jade is green and to me jade is like always an energetic i sound like such a hippie whenever i say this stuff out loud i'm like this doesn't make any sense um but but so i would never i would never say jaded to mean exhausted because to me like the association is just and like having lots of energy because it's green
0: i quite like that
1: though is is one of the ones that i have experienced um like more strongly than some of the other ones so that's
0: really interesting now you we we talked a little bit about looks but in a taste of blue light she suffers with synesthesia that are very much attached to headaches and blackouts when you were constructing her if that's a way to talk about putting your character together (laughs) did (laughs) (laughs) did you find that those sections were easy to write or were they because they were so much more personal did you find it a struggle to to make them feel real to her as opposed to to you
1: honestly i was so ill when i wrote that book that i can barely remember um I I wrote it like I started writing it week that I finally got diagnosed I started this writing course at Faber Academy and I would go once a week and um, that was basically the only time that I left my house other than just I was starting then to have this thing called um, uh, what is it called vestibular rehabilitation therapy which is you might know is the type of physiotherapy for your brain so that was all going on when I was writing it I had no like Aspirations to get published. um I don't know even if I was trying to write a like a linear story at that point. I was just kind of getting this stuff down on paper, and so I don't think I properly constructed her until the book sold and I started working with my editor. um So, so sorry to go actually answer your question, which was like, was it difficult? Yes, it was, um, but maybe not for the reasons that someone might yeah. imagine. It was difficult because at the time I was like feeling very isolated and would sleep for three days and then wake up at like 4am and finally feel okay and obviously no one wants to play with you at 4am because they've got to go to work. (laughs) So I would like do some writing then and just see what came out and and then obviously once I got an agent and um, as I said started working with the editor, things became much more deliberate and um, focused. Um, I guess... (sighs) maybe the like hardest and but also like one of the best things was i listened to some of the audio book and um like hearing that back it was kind of like i almost didn't remember writing it something very um unusual about having your work read by someone else's voice that for me at least creates a real distancing i had i'm involved in this um amazing project called um a thousand word photos which is where writers get given a photo that's contributed by a photographer. They've got all these amazing like people who take photos for Reuters, and then you write a thousand-word story based on that. Oh, cool. And then it's read by actors for this charity called Interact to Stroke Patients. And w- there was this event that I went to the other night, and my story was um, read out by an actor called Danny Sopani. And, and hearing him, like it was it felt totally separate to me. It's, re- it's really strange. And obviously... It's kind of an interesting insight into how readers receive things because, you know, I don't sit over people while they're reading my books being like, so just to be clear, like this is what I meant when I said that, although it's tempting when people tweet me saying having got things like, you know, different to how how I meant them. But um, just seeing like the humour and the emotion that he put into it, it was like really useful insight for me to see how different people receive things.
0: Mm. see you you were just talking about how like you were so ill when you wrote your first book what was it five years to diagnosis for you yeah
1: say yeah 2010 I started I got ill and then I got diagnosed January 2015 which is when I started writing yeah so about four years almost four years um to the day that I was diagnosed yeah
0: wow what I did want to ask you about is what kind of common misconceptions about migraine you encounter because for you it was completely debilitating and yeah and really changed your life you you know you you lost or you left your job because yeah. you couldn't do it anymore and you've you've become an author because yeah. you had to find something to work for you so is it strange when you does it anger you when people seem to assume that migraine is just a headache
1: I find it frustrating but also I kind of feel um I have to forgive them because that's what I thought before I was diagnosed. I just had no idea that um, you know what some I would say like 50% of my migraine attacks, I don't even get head pain. Um it's all the other symptoms like you know, visual disturbances, cognitive problems, balance problems. Um the the aura for me is really extreme. Like it, it blocks my whole vision, it affects um, you know, I've had situations where I've had to text the person that's sitting next to me or type into my screen saying I can't speak and I can't move properly. Like we need to get out of here because I just couldn't, like my tongue just wouldn't do what I wanted it to. And I just had absolutely no idea that that was, you know, a part of migraine. And I think it does seem that that is quite common. And, and, you know, that's annoying for people who do (laughs) have migraine, but it also means that people potentially aren't getting diagnosed because, you know, they just don't, consider that that's what it could be Mm. I resisted that diagnosis because when I was told oh you know it could be type of migraine I at first was like oh no here we go again like I'm being sent down this path that is not I was like you know headaches are not the worst part of this but you know that that now that I understand all the different types of migraine that completely rings true um
0: yeah it's it's strange isn't it and I think it's also you see it that that maybe doctors as well don't always know what to do with someone who presents differently to the kind of standard
1: idea we have of migraine as well yeah I mean again I I feel like it's it's such it's so difficult um and and actually the the route that got me diagnosed was I went to a different GP and He ignored all of the notes and he just listened to the symptoms and and obviously he was able to make that connection, Um, this could be in the sort of migraine family and then he referred me to this um, amazing doctor called um, Dr Louisa Murden at Guy's Hospital in London which is like really close to where I live and she was the person that finally ordered the right tests and diagnosed me so uh, I think possibly the problem is not listening rather than lack of awareness. At least in my experience, um, and and you know, just time, I guess, as well. If your if your first port of call is your GP and you've got twelve minutes to explain a very complex medical history, then that kind of hamstrings things as well. Mm. Um, and and obviously, this is not unique to the medical <laughs> problems that I have. This is kind of across the board. Mm. Um, but I guess you know, just to be reassuring, is that once I did then get the diagnosis and get access to the right person. I I was then able to get treatment which had a significant um positive impact on me and some of those things were like almost immediate. Like for example, I was taking not on purpose, way too many painkillers and I was getting like rebound head like medication overuse headaches, um, which I didn't even know was a thing. And you know, obviously it feels kind of counterintuitive if you're in pain to take fewer painkillers, but actually that did help me to to an extent. And then there were kind of longer term things like um the physiotherapy that I mentioned which went on for i think I went once a week for six months um to go and do all these things like looking at um walls with lots of patterns on and then closing my eyes, turning around and sitting on a chair, all these things just to kind of improve my brain's ability to take in information. Mm. You know who who would know that that is the migraine <laughs>
0: treatment? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's strange, isn't it? All these all these things that seem so odd when if somebody told you about them before you got sick, you'd be a bit like, "What?" Yeah. So we've already talked about how uh, you've kind of harnessed your creativity because you had to really once you got sick.
1: It started as just something to do that was kind of low low stakes. And, and then it's turned into this whole other thing. I mean, my old job did involve a lot of writing Anyways, so it's not like, you know, I woke up one day and could suddenly, like, speak German or something like that. It's not, it's not like this kind of magical gift. But definitely, yeah, just trying to think of alternative ways to, you know, have a purpose and make money and all the things that we have to do. Yeah. Um,
0: I think it's Hilary Mantel's written quite... A bit about having migraine as well. Do you think this is a <laughs> this is a, a role for migraineurs somehow? <laughs>
1: um, I, I yeah. Do you know what I actually um I spoke with a journalist called um Rebecca Armstrong. Uh, um interviewed me after Hilary Mantel had said something at a um festival about it, and um it, it is quite interesting. But I th- I think it's kind of one of those things where just because you can name like two or three my mi- writers who have may or may not have migraine it becomes this like association which doesn't really exist
0: it's like um you know I mean? writers who also have drug problems like they, there's yeah a...
1: yeah yeah or like all of, um you know painters are gonna cut off their ear or something it's just these like strange i think it's called like the availability heuristic where we just it's like shortcuts your brain takes based on an example it just kind of becomes the one that you reach for even though it's not actually reflective of the wider population um but um to answer your questions about kind of like the role of it I mean I I kind of do think about it as part of my role now like if I'm doing publicity for a book or you know whatever I'm doing it it is kind of in the back of my mind that if there's an opportunity to talk about it then I probably would Mm. like I don't like I'm not going on like school visits and telling them about like the injustices in the medical management or anything like that but where, where there is a window I, I do kind of now see it as part of my job albeit the part that doesn't really pay very well. <laughs> yeah.
0: what, um, what advice would you give to someone who's recently diagnosed with migraine? It's
1: a really interesting question because I, I like my advice is always focused on like getting people to getting the right diagnosis I don't know if I really am in a position to advise people. I think people, and this is actually one of the most annoying things about having migraine is that people keep giving you advice that you don't want. Like, have you tried hemp milk, like milk that's spelt with a Y? Like, <laughs> so I, I'm going to actively like not give people a, a, advice. But assuming it has been solicited from me, I would say you know some of the things that have helped me have been, as I said, like reducing the painkiller reliance, um, looking into depending on how you feel about um, kind of pharmaceutical drugs I I was advised by my neurologist that some kind of supplements that have fewer side effects generally speaking obviously different people react differently um, have just as good efficacy for the type of migraine that I had so rather than going on um, to to pyromate for example I think that's what it's called Mm -hmm. um, which I think is used as well for epilepsy which, which for some people has significant side effects um and i was kind of recommended to take a very high dose of magnesium and b12 instead and, and after a couple of months i noticed that that appeared to be having an impact for me so obviously everyone is different and they shouldn't just take vitamins because i've told <laughs> them to but kind of i guess don't assume that you're getting all the information from one source and um, i would also say like the migraine trust is a really really good source of information and um support and community as well
0: what are your plans for the future and what are you working on at the moment
1: so future projects um in the immediate future my um main concern is finishing my msc um getting my dissertation done which i'm um researching mental health and creative arts as i mentioned um working my third book which is uh doesn't have a title yet it's an adult um, book my other ones are kind of young adult crossover so this would be my first um, adult fiction and um, in a sort of plot twist I'm working on this solo autobiographical performance about mental health as well which is kind of pulling in um, like performance poetry visual art and um, some songs, maybe. I'm making this sound terrible, but I, I'm hoping it will be quite good fun.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. So despite using a lot of veiled autobiography in your fiction, you're now actually setting out there and doing the full thing.
1: Yeah, so I'm like a little bit nervous about it, but I do feel like it seems like the next step for me. And and also I have got a bit of that like thing that you get when you have chronic illness, or I should speak for myself rather, I don't know whether everyone has this, but where when I do feel well I feel like I want to try and do 5,000 things at once in case because I kind of know at some point probably I'll get kind of kamikaze again so trying to do as many things at once which is probably not a very good strategy probably like a slightly more measured (laughs) approach to life would be better but that doesn't seem to be within my capabilities as a human so it is what it is really. (laughs)
0: you can follow Lydia and her work on Twitter at at Ruffles, and of course buy her books The Taste of Blue Light and Colour Me In online and in bookstores. Now we come to our final section of the show, and this month we're shining some visibility on one or two of the disabled and chronically ill creators you might be interested in lending your support to in 2019. In literary and writing visibility, there are so many of you doing such great work at the moment. First off, Amy Barrett has just launched Descriptionary, an online directory of disabled characters and cripplet, which you can find and contribute to on Twitter at, at Discriptionary. Tony Pickering has a graphic novel entitled Diabetes Year One, available to buy on his website pick-art.co.uk and you can find him on Twitter at, at @mrpickers. And Jade Violet is working on their next zine, writing on neurodiversity and disability, magic and witchcraft, feminism, queer life and more. It will be released through their Patreon at patreon.com forward slash lettersfrommars. In fundraising visibility, autistic editor and writer Lizzie Huxley-Jones has met their crowdfunding target for a collection of stories, essays and art by autistic authors and artists on Unbound. You can still head over and show the book some support at www.unbound.com forward slash books forward slash stim. In music and performance visibility, Drake Music have just announced their next big showcase, which is hosted by the Barbican Theatre in London as part of their Tune In to Access event. The event will take place on the 16th of March and includes the premiere of five new commissions by disabled artists, so if you can go along to support them, you absolutely should. Details can be found on the Barbican website and you can follow Drake Music on Twitter at at Drake underscore music. That's all for February's podcast, and this episode marks a year since I launched Invisibility. Thanks so much for sticking with me and for showing the show and its guests so much love so far. If there's a disability topic, activist, creator, or news story you'd like to see featured here this year, you can contact me on Twitter at at @visibilitytoday or email visibilitytoday at gmail.com. For now, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next month for another look at What's Invisibility Then?